Solar panels may look like just a bunch of silicon, glass, and metal sitting there, but boy, are they doing some cool stuff with their electrons. This week, the guy in charge of America's solar strategy shares his vision on where the technology is headed. First, though, a quick word about our sponsor, Wonder Capital. Do you want to support solar and earn a solid annual return? With Wonder, you can help finance renewable energy projects while earning up to 7.5% annually. To get started, visit wondercapital.com gtm. That's Wonder with a U. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. The Interchange is also brought to you by Shoals Technologies Group, a global leader in balance of system solutions for solar and storage. Shoals makes solar projects perform better, period. It is the gold standard for solar and storage. To learn more about how Shoals can make your project operate at the highest level, visit Shoals.com. That's S-H-O-A-L-S, Shoals.com. This is The Interchange, conversations about the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I'm Stephen Lacey. Welcome. Shale Khan is sitting in meetings for the next few days, so it's just me. And this week, I'm talking to Charlie Gay, the director of the U.S. Solar Technologies Office at the Department of Energy. There's no shortage of fun people to talk to in this line of work, but Charlie stands out for me. This guy is a walking encyclopedia of solar tech and industry history. I've had the pleasure of interviewing Charlie at different stages of his solar career, a career that has spanned more than four decades. But the last time I sat down for a formal podcast conversation was in 2007, when he was working on amorphous silicon thin film at Applied Materials. So I figured it was time for a more formal chat again. Charlie moved from California to D.C. to take the helm of the DOE's solar office in August of 2016. Three months later, Trump won the presidency. Although coal has taken center stage within the Trump administration, solar is the real innovation star behind the scenes. In this conversation, recorded recently at our solar summit, we talked about some of the cool stuff DOE is working on, about the solar power plants of the future, the evolution of power electronics, the winning politics of PV, and some lessons from the early days of the industry. Now that DOE has hit its cost per watt and levelized cost of energy goals for utility-scale solar, the agency is developing a new metric that will help make the technology more valuable as it starts to really saturate grids. Charlie explains. So we've come up with this acronym called CATE, C-A-T-E, C for capacity, A for ancillary services, T for transmission, and E, the energy value. So historically, we've referenced LCOE as energy. We've upped the ante for our um, goals in the solar office to get to three cents a kilowatt hour by 2030. But in the midst of that, we need to be thinking about are there backup needs on the grid? Is deployment of more solar on the grid require upgrades to wires and transmission? Um, and in particular, can solar bring value locally? So thinking about the grid as a mix of micro elements, microgrid elements, that uh, I'm pretty excited about the evolution of 5G cellular networks. That is one example of technology that's changing very rapidly. And, and how so? Why, why is that a benefit? It's huge uh, for two reasons. Uh, one, 
we can immediately begin to link up what we do in solar with buildings, with energy efficiency. So energy efficiency options are particularly straightforward with electricity. Putting solar on rooftops can match up with, let's say, shifting in where the thermostat is set, what demand for energy is needed, uh, and being able to value that energy. Um, electric water heaters are uh, proliferating far more than I ever thought I'd see electric water heaters proliferate, but they become low-hanging fruit for storage. And in addition to going beyond LCOE, we want to go beyond batteries. So not just utility-scale batteries, but think about all forms of storage which can manifest uh, themselves in the form of managing the load profile, uh, what uh, amount of energy is needed and when it's needed could uh, lead us into uh, floating photovoltaics where uh, it's, it's interesting to me there's something like uh, maybe 280,000 square kilometers of reservoirs on our planet. If we were to cover those reservoirs with 15% efficient modules, that's 50,000 gigawatts. It's a lot of opportunity. And uh, the water uh, solar nexus is one of the next areas where the interaction of technologies is... Uh, going to be key. Most of the history of solar was working on getting the cost of a module down. And the cost of the module came down, it means we've peeled away one layer, but we've got a lot more layers to work with. And part of the reason I joined DOE was to be able to work with the other offices in DOE that uh, can help us scale solar and, at this, and as we scale solar, then we can continue to follow that learning curve uh, to lower cost. You know what I like about you, Charlie? You've been in solar for almost five decades, and you still sound like this is you're just as excited as your first year in solar. <laughs> <laughs> well, I am. Uh, you know, it makes it makes it good to roll out of bed in the morning and know that I can make a difference here. <laughs> so you walked through a lot of areas there. What technologically is most exciting to you? We heard you up on stage earlier talking about advances in power electronics. Mm -hmm. That seems to be an area where the Solar Technologies Office is really in investing a lot of effort. Yes. Uh, a, a large fraction of our recently announced funding opportunities um, emphasize system integration, putting solar into networks, whether it's transmission or distribution. Uh, $46 million of the $105 million in this announcement relate to system integration. System integration encompasses a range of things between power electronics that uh, play a significant role, not just in solar, but electric vehicles, applications which might operate at uh, higher temperatures than silicon is needed to operate or at higher currents or at higher voltages. So silicon carbide and gallium nitride are the two leading candidates for new applications of semiconductor materials in ways that haven't uh, really been as relevant historically. 
Why and haven't they been relevant? Partly because we didn't push the need to push the bounds of what could work in electric vehicles. We had gasoline we could burn. Uh, with the scaling of electric vehicles, there's a lot of current to manage. Basically, the battery on a, on a vehicle is called a motive power battery. We want to get torque to the wheels on the car, so we want to deliver a lot of current rapidly. Uh, the semiconductor devices needed for doing that oftentimes are mounted to surfaces that can run very hot. Um, silicon carbide works very well there. Uh, gallium nitride works very well for uh, more sophisticated waveform shaping uh, of uh, the output of an inverter. Recently, I had a chance to visit some students at uh, University of Virginia who had packed into a uh, typical iPhone charger, a little square white block that usually handles 15 watts, almost 150 watts. And you could imagine something a little bit larger that's handling three to 400 watts, the output of a module that fits in the same footprint as a junction box. Uh, the Google small box challenge actually could be met. Uh, gallium nitride also has an interesting property that we may be able to uh, substitute for electrolytic capacitors and in inverters, which have been um, one of the uh, components that ages poorly and is the leading reason for needing to service inverters after they've been out in the field for a decade. We want our technologies to last 50 years. We compete with technologies that last 50 years or longer. Uh, hydro plants typically have been in the field 75 or 80 years. We don't do discounted cash flow analyses when we build a dam because it's going to be there far longer than the time horizon that's relevant to the financing of those kinds of projects. And so they become relevant in our case to looking at these one plus one opportunities and um, working on these one plus one possibilities in our system integration for funding opportunity announcement is a, a path by which solar plus X finds its way. Um, forecasting is also a, an important need, knowing in advance what demand is going to be present then lets us take these information sources, couple them into the forward planning for the grid, and give the grid operator finer resolution, finer control of the grid. There's plenty more to come with Charlie Gay. We're going to take a quick break here and talk about our sponsors. Uh, Shoals Technologies Group is a supporter of the interchange, and Shoals is doing exactly what we're describing in this interview. It's creating the technologies to make solar power plants operate much cheaper, for longer, and at greater performance levels. No matter the product, a combiner box, junction box, inline fuse, monitoring system, Shoals makes it with the highest performance standards and a drive toward elegance. It has this new BLA solution you've heard me talking about. This uh, BLA is an integrated wire harness that eliminates combiner boxes and significantly lowers installation costs. The company's seeing incredible demand for it. Uh, and, and that's what they do. They innovate, they do it with elegance, they do it with quality. And they've been in business since 1996. 
and they're still developing the same quality products even with exponential growth. So if you're looking to step up your game with the best balance of system solutions in the industry for both solar and storage, contact Shoals. Find out more at Shoals.com. That's S-H-O-A-L-S, Shoals.com. We're also supported by Wonder Capital. What if you could help businesses across the U.S. go solar while earning up to 7.5% annually? That'd be pretty incredible. Well, you can. Since 2015, individuals have invested tens of millions of dollars using Wonder Capital's solar investment platform, and you can too. These individuals have helped finance nearly 200 large-scale solar projects all across the U.S. And Wonder works with financial institutions along with people like you, uh, including a prominent Wall Street hedge fund that recently invested over $100 million with Wonder. If you're interested in helping businesses go solar while earning up to 7.5% annually, go to wondercapital.com slash GTM. That's wonder with a U, wondercapital.com slash GTM. Wonder Capital, where impact investing meets capitalism. The technologies that you outlined, how do they come together to create the solar power plant of the future? How do you envision a solar plant operating probably just a few years' time. I mean, we're not that far away from this grid interactive next-level solar power plant. What does that look like in your eyes, knowing that there are different variations? I think uh, solar with storage, solar with load management, basically the common thread that makes all of this work well together is the communication capability. Uh, over the weekend, I was reading a Wall Street Journal article about 5G communication technologies being adopted faster than folks had anticipated. And it was only uh, January that I remember seeing a photo of uh, Intel's 5G modem chip for Apple. Uh, so two months, three months go by, and suddenly there's a massive sh- shift in Uh, how we can get a lot of data moved. And it's critical to autonomous vehicles. We don't want people crashing into each other. It means that we're going to need a lot of information moving rapidly. So the infrastructure needs to uh, assist with my unlimited cell phone data plan or what's going to make solar the resource of the future. (laughs) Well, I think your cell phone could actually be used in a way to have software that operates your home and minimizes your utility bill without you needing to weigh in or me needing to weigh in. Absolutely. Yeah, the technology already exists. It's, it's, it's getting there. Um, so, so, okay, let's think about the utility scale power plant of the future. We've heard from a number of people at this conference that almost all the projects that they're bidding right now have a storage component. It could be a storage option in five years. It could be bidding in storage today for some sort of resource need. It seems like batteries are going to take or assist with solar wholesale over the next few years. Would you agree that batteries and solar are going to be a natural pairing, uh, an economic pairing in, in, you know, going forward? I think it's inevitable. Uh, The speed with which uh, battery storage chemistries and technology are evolving is mind-boggling. Recently, I was at a conference which showed, if I recall correctly, the in the storage field for utility applications, the role of lithium-ion batteries uh, less than a decade ago was less than 10%. 
and last year it was over 90 percent it's it's a uh, shift that's happening uh, extremely rapidly Uh, and the know-how that's relevant here isn't all that different from the know-how that we needed to develop in thin film photovoltaics how do you coat large areas that are moving very rapidly with minimal number of defects, pinholes, uh, short circuits? Uh, the tool set that's available for processing materials at high speed, roll to roll coating, uh, have evolved dramatically. Um, you can travel in Japan and see packaging that has transparent coatings that have been made on roll-to-roll deposition tools that don't let oxygen uh, water vapor get through. They're just as effective as the aluminum foil, uh, aluminum metal coated packaging that we've become familiar with and take for granted. So the tools for scaling are there and they're um, tools that have multiple product uses. So the foundations of the equipment, the learning that goes on with scaling of the equipment across this range of technologies helps all of the technologies to scale more rapidly. A lot of experts have tried to imagine what a very solar heavy grid looks like. And inevitably when you imagine and model that, you start facing economic challenges because with wholesale price depression, solar plants that currently are price takers, um, you know, lose their economic competitiveness. The the there are t- sort of two scenarios where solar can survive in a you know twenty thirty percent grid. That is better power electronics, better storage technologies, and new rate designs that allow solar to provide different types of services, as you outlined with Kate. Another is just getting solar so cheap that it's, you know, a cent a kilowatt hour, two cents a kilowatt hour, whatever the number might be. Which of those scenarios are we looking at, do you think? Or is it a combination of both? It's all of the above. The uh, disaggregation of our approach to energy into having choices is something that didn't exist 100 years ago or 130 years ago when Con Edison sort of was the lead for a monopoly, a coal-burning power plant that could serve uh, a collection of customers. Now we all have choices. We have choices about where we sync up with the cellular networks, which service provider we use. I think we'll have choices in electricity as well. Uh, We want to be able to make use of the wire that's already out there, and there's a lot of ways to better use the wire, which oftentimes has been sized to handle the worst day of the year, and the rest of the year has got excess capacity for carrying power. Uh, Those possibilities um, range from large utility scale where... A lot of the, um, oh, let's say 300 to 700 megawatt size power PV power plants in California are actually connected by fiber optic bundles to the California independent system operator. Uh, it, it can just go into the same conduit that the power cables go. Uh, so the information uh, that can be fine-tuned can actually create the opportunities for improved power quality at a large scale 
and giving customers choice at the smaller scale or individuals have their own uh, selection criteria. Um, sort of the, the interface of artificial intelligence with physical systems that uh, we encounter all the time is going to play a role that uh, I'm already way too old to imagine. Uh, but uh, it's a key to having a lot of the young folks that have joined our office have, have lived their lives with smartphones, with computers, uh, and have uh, insights that go far beyond what um, I may have. So those power plants, uh, those electrons and those appliances will know what to do before we even know what's coming up next. I think so. It's the autonomous energy grid as an analog to autonomous vehicles, vehicles that can move about without drivers, uh, can be responsive to uh, mobility needs of individuals. We'll also have an autonomous availability of electricity that uh, can match up with the energy needs of individuals. Let's shift now from techno-optimism to political optimism. Uh, It's very clear that members of Congress do support this stuff. They're, they seem to be excited about uh, a lot of the R&D work going on at, at DOE and in government labs. They, they seem to like what's happening at the Solar Technologies Office. We saw an increase in your budget for uh, the 2018 fiscal year. What does that say about how Washington views the work that you're doing at the Solar Technologies Office? Jobs. We have lots of jobs in solar, uh, and individuals vote, uh, and the power of our industry is the employment base that we've managed to create here. You know, I remember seven or eight years ago, everyone was making fun of the idea of green jobs in D.C., and now jobs are the, the driving factor, you're telling me. Yeah, and it's uh, what gets people elected to Congress. Uh, So if there are jobs being created uh, or jobs not being created, that also gets people removed from Congress. Uh, The the signal is very strong, uh, just directly coupled to are we able to provide good-paying jobs, Uh, installation jobs. uh, Last time I looked, on average, uh, had a wage base of about $26 an hour for the workforce all across the U.S. Um, The the ability to earn a living uh, and be involved in making the planet a better place for our children and grandchildren, it's it's just a magic combination. So remind me, when you got your start in solar? Was it 47 years ago? Uh, no, it was uh, 43 years ago. 43. I, I, I started shortly after uh, the first oil embargo, and all the A students became nuclear engineers, and being a slacker, I thought, well, maybe I better pick something else. Uh, it it uh, was a very fortunate, lucky move. When um, the second oil embargo happened, and... Uh, oil and gas companies wanted to diversify into high-tech areas. Photovoltaics was one of those areas that was high-tech. It had been primarily used for communication satellite power systems, which is actually where I got my start building those solar arrays. Uh, And uh, the irony to me is that 
when Atlantic Richfield invested uh, in a company of uh, maybe a dozen employees called Solar Technology International and hired me to head the R&D and manufacturing operations, they said, you need to set up an R&D program. I, I hunted for six, eight months to get one employee interested in solar to come and work on the R&D. And I ended up browbeating my little brother to come and join the R&D group. So now we had twice as many people in the R&D group. It, it's amazing to sort of have the perspective of the history in which solar was marginalized. Uh, my brother could have gone to uh, Bell Labs, to GE R&D, to IBM R&D. And he was uh, generous enough to come and help me sort of build some momentum in the R&D group at the small startup that grew very rapidly into uh, the largest manufacturer of solar by 1980. But that was an interesting time because uh, the oil companies recognized that they needed solar for these, you know, distant rigs and you know, you, you needed it for remote applications where nothing nothing else made sense, no other fuel made sense. And uh, so you go from space applications to remote applications, and you build from there. The oil companies knew the value of solar very early on. And uh, interesting to me is that the oil companies today think about electrons to molecules. They think about a time when it won't be possible to economically pump uh, oil out of the ground and distill it into uh, compounds that are useful for polymers or other applications. They're looking at the low cost of solar and wind as a way to take basically CO2 and water and make whatever they need in the future. Uh, and this ranges from Shell, who's always done an incredibly effective job of looking at what kind of strategic planning is necessary out over the next 40 or 50 years, to ExxonMobil, to global energy companies. And having global companies come into our landscape, see the value of what we're doing, and have the presence across the planet, that's a huge uh, win for our industry. Before we turn on the microphones, you were describing to me some of the people that you've been working with uh, in D.C. since you went back to DOE and how inspiring it was to see young people who are work, willing to work around the clock to continue to try to make this vision a reality. I mean, it already is becoming a reality, but to accelerate it even faster. That must be really fulfilling as someone who's you know been working on this for 43 years. Yeah. As I say, the contrast between spending six months uh, in a fruitless effort to recruit somebody into solar to now having piles of resumes that come in from incredibly articulate and thoughtful people who not only are uh, technically talented, but they're um, capable of communicating information in terms that their audience relates to. And that uh, talent is rare and unique. Those individuals can get a job anywhere, but having that uh, magnet of attraction to being able to work in solar, being able to leave the planet better than we arrived in it. Those are inspirational. 
Again, Charlie Gay is the director of the Solar Technologies Office at the Department of Energy. The conversation was recorded at GTM Solar Summit in San Diego. Speaking of which, if you're out on the West Coast and looking to connect with people of Charlie's stature about this exact subject, about how distributed energy gets more dynamic on the grid, come to our Grid Edge Innovation Summit in San Francisco. It's next week. It's uh, June 20th and 21st. We've completely revamped the conference to make it even better than years past. I'm super excited for it. It's going to be a packed two days. You just go to greentechmedia.com slash events and sign up. Use the promo code podcast at checkout for a 10% discount. Hope to see you there. In the meantime, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Share this with your friends and colleagues. Spread the word. We uh, do a lot to promote the podcast, but word of mouth is still the best way to get the message out there. And send us your show ideas if you want to record yourself asking a question, what we can get to it on an episode, or just email us something, and um, hopefully we'll get to it. Shale Khan will be back in the next episode. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>